You are listening to Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 344, Superboy Meets Heroes from the Future. Welcome to episode 344 of Legion of Substitute Podcasters. I'm Paul French, and once again this week I am solo lad. Uh, long weekend schedules, they get kind of messed up and they get kind of challenging to meet. So I've decided on a, on a theme. You know, last week I did the, uh, the Superboy story with Pete Ross. Uh, actually, two stories with Pete Ross. And, um, and, and it was kind of fun to do. So I thought, if there's one thing that DC liked to do in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, was get Superboy to meet heroes from the future. Now, that's whether he traveled through time to meet them, or if he just met, you know, the people who would become the heroes. And so I'm going to kind of start with one of those stories, and I'm going to even try not to spoil the end. Well, I'm going to spoil the end. I mean, I'm totally going to spoil the end. But I'm not going to do it until such time as, as the reveal comes in. So th- this comes from uh, from one of my favorite series, um, and that is uh, The New Adventures of Superboy. Uh, Legion fans will, of course, remember, and as we've been doing Superboy and the Legion, um, it, it, Basically, the Legion ended up taking over the uh, the front of Superboy's book, and uh, you know they started out as a backup feature, and then they crept into the front, and then they kind of took it over, and eventually they actually pushed Superboy out. Well, they didn't push him out. It's a whole whole big story, but but essentially what was happening was um, the powers that be at DC had realized that you know we've got Superboy. But we don't have him in his element, you know, that like the Superboy stories that they used to be told, you know, where you had Smallville and Lana Lang and Pete Ross and Mom Pa Kent and all that kind of stuff. They just weren't being told because, of course, Superboy was now just a despite having his name at the top of the bill, he was still just another team member in the Legion. Now, an important one, of course, and, and I don't mean that to say to lessen his importance. But the reality is, he was a uh, smaller part of a of a very large cast. So it was certainly you know certainly hard to um, give him that much space, and also it just completely kept him out of the thing that we were used to, which was kind of that 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 Superboy paradigm of uh, of him being in the fifties. In this case, uh, he he would end up in the sixties. Uh, you know, early on, in fact, um, Superboy was kind of frozen in the 30s for a long time. And, uh, you know, I guess it was the people who were writing him just kind of put him in an era and and left him there. Um, But so we're going to get into that. Uh, So this comes from, and and people who've read the issue will know immediately what we're we're talking about here. But uh, this comes from uh, New Adventures of Superboy. Uh, which was, of course, Carrie Bates and Kurt Schaffenberger for most of the run, uh, for a good chunk of that, and then I, and then toward the end of it, uh, Paul Kupperberg took over as writer, and then um, 
Schaffenberger would leave and Howard Bender would take over as artist. Um, but for now, it, it is it is those two. So I'm gonna actually first let's let's talk about the creators. Um, first, and this is a guy who's worked on a lot of stuff, and 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 I think he he should get the the first mention. That is artist Kurt Schaffenberger. Uh, Schaffenberger was uh, was best known. Uh, for his uh, early work on Captain Marvel and the Marvel family, both during the Golden Age and Silver Age, when DC ended up with the Marvel family. Uh, Schaffenberger got the nod to draw a lot of that. And, of course, in the 50s and 60s, he did a lot of uh, drawing Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, um, and, and then would work, work on, uh, on, on Superboy as well for, uh, as I said, a number, of, a number of years. And to me... To me, he was kind of my definitive Superboy artist. I know many people came before him. Many people worked on him. May have, may have worked on it longer. I'm not so sure about that. But to me, you know, this was picking up the the new adventures of Superboy. Um, Kurt was the was the artist, and uh, and that's sort of the image when I think of Superboy. That it's it's Kurt Schaffenberger drawing him. Um, so he was born in Germany and uh, emigrated to uh, uh, America as a seven-year-old. Um, and so that would have been around 1927. And uh, went and ended up in, uh, in New York City and won a scholarship to the Pratt Institute. Uh, after graduation, he joined back Jack Binder's studio in 1941, where he worked on key faucet titles, including Captain Marvel, Bullet Man, and Ibis. Uh, while he was there uh, at Bender Studio, which was in Englewood, New Jersey, he took over an apartment from high school fo- local high school football coach Vince Lombardi. For those who follow the sports ball, you'll know who that is. Um, uh, he served in the military during World War II, including a stint uh, with the Office of Strategic Services. That's the OSS. And I remember there was a DC book about that. Anyway, he left the military with the rank of Master Sergeant, and then he went back to the world of comics and resumed his work uh, for the Captain Marvel family, and um, and then kind of expanded his his work. You know, he worked a bit for EC, Gilberton, uh, American Comics Group, Marvel Comics, and even did uh, cl- um, you know Classics Illustrated and some stuff in Soldiers of Fortune. Um, in 1957, Otto Bender. Another important name, Otto Bender, of course, creator of the Legion. Uh, he recruited Schaffenberger to uh, to DC to work on the Superman family books, and he ended up staying for the next thirty years. Uh, of course, made a, a large contribution to the development of Lois Lane, and uh, was was the lead artist on the Lois Lane comic for the first decade that it was out. And and yes, there was a Lois Lane book that ran for more than a decade. I'm just saying. Um, and and a lot of people looked at his rendition of Lois as the definitive version of the character, and so um, in fact, of course, as we know, DC DC loved to have their uh, they're getting people to redraw stuff, uh, um, and so uh, Schaffenberger was often asked by Mort Weisinger to redraw other artists' uh, depictions of Lois Lane in other titles in which she appeared. Um, and then he uh, uh, updated her fashions to a more contemporary look uh, in issue 80, which came out in January of 1968. 
He was basically fired from DC in 1970 for helping organize other artists to protest bad working conditions. And we've talked about that a few times. Um, and then briefly freelanced and worked for Marvel, but returned to DC in 72. So when, when of course, DC acquired the rights to the Marvel family, Schaffenberger was kind of the, uh, the first go-to guy. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, th- and that also led to him doing work um, outside of the Superman family of titles, including some uh, short-lived runs on titles like Wonder Woman and the Super Friends, which kind of tells you where things were at because it, it, it just shows that he had a very, very clean style. And uh, I guess that's the best way to look at it. You know, not quite cartoonish, but not hyper-real, uh, sort of a lot of rounded edges. Um, really, really quite beautiful stuff. Um, anyway, so... Um, uh, in 1980, uh, he was brought in to, uh, to do the uh, New Adventures of Superboy, which would, of course, be the final post-Legion uh, title for the... They, they say original. We know what they mean is the real Superboy. Uh, so, somewhat metaphorically, the Superboy and Supergirl-less uh, DC um, universe that followed Crisis turned out to be most, mostly without Schaffenberger. He basically kind of retired uh, from comics soon after helping with Whatever Happens to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, was a special guest um, at the 1996 San Diego Comic-Con. And he and his uh, wife had two children, uh, Susan and Carl. And uh, they lived in the same house in River Edge, New Jersey uh, for four decades. Um, and uh, he would pa- he ended up passing away in uh, 2002 at the age of 81 in Ocean County, New Jersey, and um, and the comics, uh, you know, I mean, well, they had already largely lost him, um, but uh, but certainly uh, one of those guys who uh, who knew the stories, you know, behind the stories uh, was no, was no longer with us. So the other guy uh, that was really involved a lot with this story. Um, you know, was kind of no stranger to uh, to Superboy as it was, and certainly no stranger to people who listen to this show because we've talked a lot about uh, about Carrie Bates in the past, and I don't know if we ever really got into a uh, into a biography. So, so we should do that just just for consistency's sake. Um, uh, so, Carrie Bates, uh, of course, uh, started out by submitting ideas for comic book covers at the, when he was at the age of thirteen. So that would be around uh, 1961. And a number of them were actually published. Um, the first was the cover to Superman 167 in February of 1964. And then he started selling stories to them when he was 17. Um, now, for me, when I started reading comics, Bates was, well, he was doing a lot, uh, really, when you get down to it. I mean, he was, uh, uh, you know, he wrote The Flash for a number of years. Uh, he wrote uh, Superman both in action comics and in the Superman book and of course Superboy so you know I'd say uh, you know of, of sort of my my five favorite books he was writing uh, at least at least four of them right and uh, so so to me always uh, you know I always love his uh, his Superman stories his Superboy stories all that kind of stuff um, and so he uh, of course you know created Terra Man Eh, maybe not the greatest legacy, but also the 70s version of the Toy Man, as well as Vartox. Okay, I know what you're saying. Maybe, again, not the best legacy, but come on. 
1972, uh, he and artist Art Saf launched the first Supergirl series. And he actually wrote two stories that featured superhero weddings. Now, of course, in uh, Legion uh, Superboy, starring the Legion of Superheroes, number 200, uh, Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel were married. And, of course, Justice League of America 121 in August of 1975 featured the marriage of Adam Strange and his long-standing love interest, Alana. Of course, we remember uh, the uh, Superman 300 story that came out in June of 1976, which imagined if the infant Superman had uh, landed on Earth in 1976 and become a superhero in 2001. I kind of wish... I. Kind of wish I still had that. I, I gotta go. I gotta dig that one up because uh, that's just kind of fun. Um, but actually, that story was a, an inspiration for Mark Miller's uh, Superman Red Sun series. Um, of course, for all the characters that Bates uh, married, he then um, ended the marriage of another character in Flash two hundred seventy five, July nineteen seventy nine, where Iris West Allen was killed. Um, Another kind of Bates trope is he appeared in his own comics several times alongside the Silver Age version of The Flash and, of course, the Justice League. You know, they would go to Earth Prime and there's Carrie Bates. Um, in the 80s, uh, as I mentioned, uh, they started up the new adventures of Superboy starting in January of 1980. The first Electra thing, yes, that was a typo on the cover issue, uh, which took the character out of the Legion and back into solo adventures. Um, and uh, of course, um, uh, he, you know, Bates basically wrote the uh, the Flash right through to the uh, to the end of its run, um, you know. So so, it, so somewhere around uh, seventy or more than more than seventy five issues. I can't remember exactly how long his run was, but it was lengthy. He actually ended up uh, finishing the uh, the series and and was its editor as well, and. Um, his uh, final Superman stories were uh, trapped in Imp TV in uh, Superman 421 and Superman for a Day in Action Comics 581, both cover dated July of 86. Uh, he wrote some sto stories for Marvel Comics' new Universe line, created the Video Jack series at Epic Comics with Keith Giffen, and then uh, both Superman would, would work on the Captain Atom series with Pat Broderick. Again, see, see Carrie Bates, like, like, he's my dude. Um, and also did the very cool Silver Blade limited series with Gene Colan. Um, outside of that, in comic strips, he also uh, worked on The Lone Ranger, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, uh, both of those uh, in the early 80s. Worked on Dis Disney's Gargoyles during the 90s, and then in 2008 returned after a 20-year absence to Marvel to write True Believers, a limited series about a team trying to uncover secrets in the Marvel Universe. Uh, he was the head scriptwriter on the uh, f on the uh, four season live action uh, Superboy television series, which ran from 1988 to 1992. Uh, he also co-wrote the 1992 film uh, Christopher Columbus: The Discovery, which was produced by the the Salkins, and he actually co-wrote that with Mario Puzo and John Briley. Uh, he also made a return to uh, writing Superman in 2010. And I think when we talked about uh, when we talked to Paul Levitz the first time, he mentioned uh, he mentioned Carrie um, when he was working on Superman the La the Elseworld story titled Superman the Last Family of Krypton, um, and he also worked during the uh, the DC retroactive stories the little specials that they did 
um, doing one for uh, the uh, the DC retroactive Flash and DC retroactive JL, uh, both taking place in the 70s, JLA in the 70s as well. Uh, both of those came out in September 2011. Okay, so um, that gives you an idea. And I just want to check the uh, Flash run. So, yeah, it was he did like issues 179, 206, 209 to 212, 216, 218 to 292. Had a break in 293, apparently. 294 to 305, 307 to 312. So I guess just fill in issues in between those. And then 314 to 350. Uh, so definitely a large run on uh, on uh, on the Flash, and I think from basically three around uh, 296 up to uh, 350. That was that was with Infantino for the most part. Um, okay, so back to the so so the, so those are the those are the guys involved. Those are the uh, the, the creators here. Uh, so the story that we're going to be talking about is Superboy's Wild Weekend Out West. And this is written, again, obviously, by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Schaffenberger, inked by Dave Hunt, colored by Jerry Serp, uh, lettered by Ben Oda, and the editor was one Julius Schwartz. So we uh, we open up on the story. They have the uh, very, very retro um, approach that they took when, when, uh, when other books were, were doing sort of new approaches this was really kicking back to the old days so you'd have that splash pa- that splash page that was really sort of almost like a secondary cover um, just had more dialogue and uh, and sort of exposition um, so we see Superboy hanging 10 with another guy in the background uh, wearing some green trunks um, and so Superboy saying I've got less than a second to switch back to my glasses and trunks before this wave breaks or everyone on the West Coast is going to know my secret identity before I reach shore. Oh no. What's this? The mightiest teen alive, hanging ten on a surfboard and shooting the curl inside a giant wave? And what is mild-mannered Clark Kent doing 3,000 miles away from Smallville under a California sun, riding the Blue Pacific? And who is the new friend our hero makes during Superboy's wild weekend out West? Who indeed? You're going to find out. <clears throat> All right, so we start off um, in Smallville, uh, 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Um, Lana and Clark are leaving the high school and just talking about the the fall and enjoying the weekends in fall, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and he's kind of not, yeah, he's not really, really listening that well to her. Um, and she says, hey, you might even enjoy being with you. And, uh, and this was... <laughs> Uh, a, a couple of issues earlier. This was an interesting series because they would have things like it was mostly um, one and done stories, some two parters, that sort of thing. But for the most part, um, very sort of focused. But there would be elements that would uh, that would carry over from earlier issues. Um, so there was there was some sort of issue to issue continuity, and and what had happened was uh, Clark Kent had pulled off a, a dramatic rescue, unable to change out into his Superboy costume, and so Lana was kind of crushing on Clark big time, and so he says uh, life was sure a lot simpler when I had Lana convinced I was nothing more than a meek and timid weakling. At least then she didn't want to spend so much time with me. All this attention only complicates my double life as Superboy. And so, yeah, she was asking, you know, basically asking if he would go camping with uh, with with Lana and her dad, and um, 
And so he's like, I can't give you a definite answer, Lana, not till I check with Pa. He may uh, need my help in the store tomorrow. And she, and Lana says, Oh, I'll talk to your father. He uh, he won't you know he won't be able to say no to. And then there's a crash. And uh, oh my gosh, an accident. And uh, yes, it turns out this car that zipped past uh, Clark as he was uh, thinking about uh, the all the extra attention uh, has run into a trailer, um, a cage. It looks like a pickup truck that was delivering a couple of tigers to a circus that is pitched on the outskirts of town. Um, so Clark takes a look and checks to make sure that the drivers are unhurt. And then it's, well, got to deal with these tigers. So everyone starts, you know, running for, for doorways. And, uh, and Clark gets an idea that, hey, here's something. This might actually solve my current problem with Lana. And um, so he tells it he's going to act like a decoy. And, uh, and he kind of leads one of the... Uh, one of the tigers away and the tigers chasing after him and Lana's thinking what's gotten into him lately I mean who does he think he is Superboy <clears throat> so the uh, tigers coming after him and uh, and Clark has him coming at him and he says oh only one way out of this now and so he quickly uses a blast of, of super breath to keep the tiger from ripping his clothes and uh, gets changed into his Superboy costume and picks up the uh the tiger and um then gets a hold then the other one is running is about to pounce on lana and uh, he tells her to duck um, and it bites his arm with predictable results lots of teeth issues um and so um he he may he asks lana if she's all right she says she's going to check on clark and uh, he flies off to take these two back to um the, this back to the circus so he drops them over and shows up back and hides under a truck, changes back to Clark and gets out and uh, says, I, uh, Lana, is that you? I thought I recognized those legs. No offense. Well, Lana's not impressed. And so this has worked well for him. Um, you know, he says, uh, I dove under here just as that mean looking tiger was about to pounce on me. Luckily, Superboy showed up in the nick of time to grab it. Uh, there were two tigers on the loose. Did Superboy capture the other one yet? So she's not impressed. She says, same old Clark. For a while there, I really thought you were starting to change into something special, but I know now I was only kidding myself. See you in class Monday, Clark. And so Clark is relieved. So uh, he says, now that I've uh, convinced Lana that I've revert reverted to my meek and mild ways, she's decided she can get through the weekend without me. I'll sure be able to use the breathing space. And he gets out there, and a couple of uh, a couple of uh, older, elderly Smallville ladies say, "We saw what you did, Clark, daring to lure to lure that fearsome tiger away from the others. You're a hero. Your parents must be proud of you." Of course they, of course they are. Um, he says, "But by Monday, Mom and Pa will be the only ones who are." Once Lana passes the word about Clark Kent's cowardly performance today, he says, "I don't enjoy suffering that kind of humiliation, but it's the only way to keep my secret identity effective." So he shows up back at the Kent house, and um, he's looking sad. And, um, and and you know, Ma asks him about it, and uh, and she says, you know, you look like you've lost your best friend. And Jonathan says, whatever the problem is, son, I promise the weekend will help you forget your troubles. And he's got a couple of big suitcases packed. And he goes, what's going on, Pa? Kent, is someone going away on a trip? 
Yes, they are, says Jonathan. The Kents are. All three of them. Your Aunt Mary and Uncle Fred are celebrating their silver wedding anniversary in Coast City tomorrow. Hmm, Coast City, huh? And they insist that we come. And he says, Coast City, that's clear across the, the country. Of course, I suppose Superboy could fly you there at night if we're careful not to be seen. And he says, we wouldn't allow that, Clark. Your superpowers are meant for the world, not our personal convenience. And he says, besides, you know how generous Uncle Fred likes to be with his hard-earned wealth? Three round-trip airline tickets. That's right. So off they go from, uh, from Metropolis Airport at 7.40 that night. Can't believe that this just suddenly sprang on them, huh? Um, so um, they're on the runway, and... Um, and uh, the stewardess helps tighten Clark's seatbelt, and uh, and he's acting all timid. And uh, this kid's sitting next to him. His name's Harold. He says, "Take a wild guess and say you've never flown in a plane before." He says, uh, and so he's you know putting on his timid act. And um, <laughs> Martha even says he's kind of pouring it on thick for that that Harold boy, isn't he? After all, we're not in Smallville now. And Jonathan says, eh, true, but after suffering the complications of being a hero last week, he's glad to be practicing his timid routine again. So five hours later, the um, you know plane is, uh, is flying along, gets struck by lightning. Uh, the tail section gets hit, and we know that that's bad. I've seen Lost. Tail section's getting hit. Bad thing. Um, so they ask to, uh, you know, settle their seatbelts, and the plane starts to lurch, and um, it, it even gets a land sa- a land sakes out of Martha, and um, so Clark see- checks to see that, yeah, that's what's happened. The tail section has been shredded, and so the, the plane's spinning down, and this guy Harold gets up and says, "Please, people, stay calm. There's at least six miles between us and the ground. Plenty of time for the pilot to pull us out. See, I'm not afraid." And, uh, wow, he's not afraid of anything, it seems. Um, so they're trying to figure out how can Clark possibly save the plane without revealing his secret identity. And so he's sitting there, gripping hard at his, uh, you know, kind of, it looks like he's white-knuckling his, uh, his chair. But what he doesn't realize is that Clark has secured himself against his seat and the fuselage with so much super force that he's going to fly us all out of this danger, literally by the seat of his pants. Yeah. Old, old Jonathan is certainly proud of his boy. And so it levels off, and the uh, the, the pilots are, are flabbergasted. They say, how can this be happening? According to our indicator lights, the tail assembly is long gone. They say, and the pilot says, I don't understand it either, Hanson, and I'm not complaining. So the um, they manage to land and um, uh, they they actually get into uh, to Coast City and they say it's almost as though an invisible hand were guiding the plane in. <laughs> um, so they get there and Harold says to Clark, "Okay, Clark, we made it safe and sound. You can relax now." You know, considering all the work he'd been doing. Um, <clears throat> so uh, so Jonathan says to Harold, "I gotta hand it to you. You sure kept a cool head even when things looked really grim." He says, it's this problem I have, Mr. Kent. My two brothers are always razzing me about it. Yeah, see? Because uh, it usually gets me into trouble. Oh, by the way, you guys were supposed to take a drink back when the Tigers escaped. I totally forgot. And now I just did the Ultra Dillinger voice. So also now take a drink. I apologize for not observing the drinking game rules. I will ensure you, assure you that uh, that will not be an issue going forward. 
Um, so yeah, he says, I know it sounds hokey, but it's the absolute truth. I seem to have been born without fear. Hmm. Nothing scares me. And, um, and so he says, uh, wow, judging from what I saw on the plane today, this is Clark thinking, I believe it. He had no way of knowing my superpowers were secretly averting, averting disaster. Um, so he says, what a bizarre pair we make. A superboy who must pretend to be a devout coward and an ordinary boy with the, all the courage of a superhero. Bizarre or not, the paths of these two young men have only begun to cross. So we get into chapter two and, uh, and Clark and, uh, and Harold are shaking hands and he says, well, and Harold says, well, Clark, I hope you and your parents enjoy your weekend here in my hometown. You've got my address and phone number if you need a guide to show you the sights. Clark says, I just may take you up on that offer, Harold, and thanks again for helping us all through those harrowing two minutes. So we see um, Uncle Fred and, uh, and Aunt Mary, and uh, they're, they're looking at uh, Martha and saying, she says, I declare, Martha, you never seem to look a day older. You must tell me your secret. Well, it involves some kind of alien thing, if I remember correctly. Um and they they see Clark and they say, "Wow, you you've really sprouted up." She says, uh, "Last time Mary and I saw you, you were a mere tot." And uh, <laughs> Mary says, "I'll never forget that darling little red and blue play suit you were wearing when we visited the farm. Uh, that would be the super baby days." And uh, so then we see um, Harold and his two brothers, his older brother uh, Jack, and. Uh, he says, how'd it go, young brother? Is Metropolis University going to be favored with your application? And he says, I che it checked out great, Jack, except for two things. It's 3,000 miles from the Pacific, and the winter is too darn cold. And his other brother says, still counting on keeping up with your surfing while in college, eh, big brother? And uh, they ask how the uh, flight was, and he says, we ate a little turbulence, Jim. That's about all. But the stewardess were knockouts. The food? Yuck. So they decided to stop for pizza on the way home. So we, uh, we head over to uh, Uncle Fred and Aunt Mary's place, and uh, Clark is apparently feeling too ill for dinner, you know, and they said, eh, well, after what happened during your flight, I can understand. They say, well, still, you and Jonathan don't seem any worse for the wear. He says, don't ask me to explain it, Fred, but during uh, the dangerous moments, Martha and I saw a guardian angel watching out for us up there. And... <laughs> And um, Fred says, uh, not to be un insensitive, Martha, but I remember you writing Mary and me about Clark being, well, rather delicate. Mary says, manners, Fred. I'm sure their boy will be just fine after a good night's rest. But of course, the, uh, the guest room is empty and the window is open with the curtains blowing out because Superboy has flown uh, eastward 3,000 miles because, of course, if Clark's away... Superboy can't also be away because people get suspicious about his double identity. Um, and there's Officer Rowe, and they uh, they wave to each other, and he says, uh, he says, even in Superboy, looks like another quiet night, and I'm not complaining a bit. Superboy says, that makes two of us. Be seeing you. And so, yeah, everything seems quiet. <clears throat> so he says, I'll do another hour of patrol, and then I'll super speed back to Coast City. And he hears a rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. He says, it sounds like a gunfight near the old hunting lodge. And he goes over, and there's, uh, and there's a bunch of mobsters. And get ready to take a drink, folks. Yeah, we got those rats trapped in there, men. Nobody skimps from my mob and lives. Yeah, see? 
And he says, oh, it looks like I'm heading into a heated mob debate, the kind where the arguing is done with hot lead. Which, of course, he can't see through. Um, so he, he gets through the, he goes down the chimney, gets all Santa Claus with them, and, uh, um, and then he gets all Big Bad Wolf and actually blows down the house. And, uh, and so they thought there was a tornado that came down, and it's, yes, it was a human tornado named Superboy. So he huffs, he puffs, he blows the house down and uh, has exposed the other gangs. Uh, um, uh, basically has exposed them so that the other mobsters outside can see them. And he says, all right, boys, open fire. Yeah, see? He says, can't, boss. My, my piece is jammed, see? And the other guy says, mine too, see? Yeah, yeah, see? And um, it turns out Superboy had used his heat vision to melt the firing pins. So then he drills deep into the, uh, into the ground drops all these guys into this big hole and uh, puts some planks over it and uh, hammers down some spikes. So basically they're essentially jailed in this. He says, I'll notify uh, Chief Parker to pick up these goons and put them behind real, ba real bars. So the next morning in Coast City, the sun starts coming up over the palatial estate in which uh, Fred and Mary live. And um, he said, I oh, couldn't believe it when when uh, groundskeeper told us you and Jonathan been up since 5 a.m. And of course, you know, they're former farmers. They're always up early. And they say, Clark's the same, the same way most mornings. He hardly ever sleeps this late. And they say, oh, your boy's wide awake, Martha. You see, my brother Waldo and his family just drove in. And my niece Esther start, spotted Clark coming out of the house. And when she sees a boy her age, she latches onto him. He says, huh, if I know Esther, she'll hardly let Clark get in a word edgewise. So, and of course, that is the case. And um, she says, well, since Uncle Fred's anniversary party isn't till tonight, we do have a whole day to kill. And I'm sure Dad would lend us his car. And seeing the ocean is only a few miles away, Clark says, okay, you talk me into it. So he says, I'll only be too glad to take you to the beach today. And he says, why do I hear a little voice inside my head warning me I'm going to regret this? So they get over to the uh, to the beach and uh, and uh, they hear the music. Everybody's gone surfing the day away. Say, gosh, they're playing miserable stuff on the radio these days. Miserable, Clark. Those are the Beach Boys. Everyone our age is supposed to like the Beach Boys. And he says, well, uh, I'd rather listen to Andy Williams any day. At least when Andy sings, you can understand the words. They get a little blast of surfing USA. She says, tell me, Clark, are all the boy boys back in Squaresville like you? He says, it's Smallville, Aster, and no. I guess I can honestly say there isn't anyone else like me back home. That I can believe, she says, but I don't know about you, but I'm going to try and get a tan. And he says, okay, so, and then he gets sand kicked in his face. Oh, it's like one of those ads. Oh, man, he's going to get all Charles atlas And um, so, yeah, they were basically jerks to him, you know, and it, it's totally replaying one of those, uh, one of those old ads. Um, uh, yeah, so... And the guy says, oh, I didn't mean to kick sand in your face. I guess I wasn't looking where I was running. And uh, and um, they grab uh, Esther and say, hey, come on, we're, we're going to start some volleyball. So she goes along. And Clark says, how about me, fellas? Could you use another man on your team? And they say, you sure can, Ace. You should see If you should see another man pass by, be sure to send him over. Jerks. Uh, and he hears a voice, don't let those muscle brains get you down, Clark. And it turns out it's Harold with his surfboard says this he says i hardly expected to see you here and he says why not this is the beach where i've learned, spent years learning to surf among other things 
and um he says, I can understand though why I can't understand why you let that muscle head kick sand in your face without so much as an angry comeback. Clark says, Well, he did apologize, sort of. And he says, Hey, instead of sitting here like a, a stick in the sand while the while your chick is gone. Yeah, it's 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 the sixties. Uh, he says, I'll teach you how to hang ten. And he goes, Are hang ten what? And he says, Hang ten toes over the edge of the board. So we uh we swing over to the next page, and uh, this chapter is called Brightest Day, Blackest Night. Hmm, where are they leading toward? He says, well, I gotta say, Harold, you were right. This uh, surfing isn't nearly as tough as I thought it would be. And uh, that's because, of course, they're floating, and all of a sudden there's this monster wave, a 20-footer easily. And so um, Harold says, well, there's no way we can outswim this, so we'll have to ride the wave back to shore. He says, just watch as I do exactly and do exactly as I do and keep your cool. He says, okay, I'll do my best. And he goes, uh, same old Harold. If uh, if fear were $500 an ounce, he couldn't come up with a penny's worth. Um, but it's a big wave and he's an expert surfer, but even he can't keep his balance. And uh, he says, wasn't enough time to keep on top. I'm wiping out. wonder how poor Clark's doing. Well, Clark is shooting the curl as they say, which is riding the hollow interior of a wave. And he goes, not that I have a sudden urge to show off, but I figured in here I'd remain out of sight long enough to switch to Superboy. And uh, he has his little compressed uniform, like as he used to do. He has to, basically used to have this little spray so he could compress his clothes. And um, so now he didn't have to have his uniform under. He compressed it much like he used to do with his, with his street clothes. Um... And he would keep them in a little pouch in his uh, in, in in his cape, and uh, so he gets the costume on, and with his telescopic vision, he sees that there is a uh, a sinking boat surrounded by shark fins. Um, so they're all worried, you know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, it's his family on this boat. And then, Daddy, are those shark fins out there? And he says, it's going to be all right, Princess. The Coast Guard picked up our SOS. They should be here any moment. And they, fortunately, they don't have to wait for the Coast Guard. They get uh, floated, flown out by Superboy. And they said, huh, you can forgive about the Coast Guard, Mom and Dad. Who needs them when you got Superboy helping you out? And uh, so he flies them out, and they say, uh, I thought Superboy lived on the East Coast in a town called Littleville. Er, Smallville, sir. Occasionally I fly on world patrols. And fortunately, California happened to be on my route today. Meanwhile, back on, on the beach, uh, they're looking for... Uh, we've got uh, Harold and the two meatheads and Esther looking out for, um, for Clark. Uh, because, of course, last they saw, he was, he was swimming. Or he was surfing. And they say, oh, he says, oh, Harold says, don't see a sign of him. He's got to be close by. Knucklehead one says, uh, unless that big wave took him under and kept him there. And then Astor says, it's all my fault. Sniff, which is almost a joke. Uh, she says, I made Clark come here today. And then they see him come out with his glasses just slightly askance. And uh, they say, look, there he is. And she says, what a relief. The Kents would never have forgiven me if anything had happened to their son. And Harold says, you really had us worried there for a while, Clark. Not to mention the scare you must have had. But you know the old saying, it's best to get right up, back up on a horse after it throws you. And so he says, and that's what you must do. Get right back in the ocean. 
And what better time than tonight? There's nothing like moonlight scuba diving. So what do you say? Should I bring along an extra wetsuit and pick you up? And he says, no, I'm afraid not. That is, I can't. My aunt and uncle are having their anniversary party tonight, and that's why I came all the way out here. And he says, okay, I understand. And so they're drinking a toast to uh, um, uh, Fred and Mary he says, um, uh, for, their, for their 25th anniversary. And everyone says, here, here. And then Clark does a spit take, and they say, oh, poor boy, his milk must have gone down the wrong pipe. <laughs> poor Clark. And they say, I hope he hasn't hurt himself. And uh, But he knows that what's happened is that Clark has spotted a job for Superboy somewhere. So he flies off, and he'd been checking out all evening with his uh, uh, telescopic vision, you know, starting with that disabled cabin cruiser. He says, even though the family thought their engine overheated and exploded, I knew better. The hole in their hull was put there by an underwater collision with a submarine, an old World War II job being helmed by smugglers. So he's been checking out uh, their submarine sort of all afternoon and evening, uh, just waiting for the, to catch them in the act. And now he does, and there they are, you know, a couple of them there, a couple of them in their wetsuits, and then a couple of them with good old Muggsy hats on. Yeah, say, take a drink. Um, so he grabs these four guys and basically buries them in, the sand, in a big sand pile, and uh, the one guy says, Oof, can't even twitch my trigger finger. Kids pack the sand around us so tight it'll take a sledgehammer to break us out. And he looks uh, with he looks and sees a pile of clothes on the beach. Takes a look with his X-ray vision to the ID in the pocket, and it turns out they belong to Harold. And it seems that that uh, Harold got a little too near the sub. And a couple of guys wearing like <laughs> sort of cliche striped um, shirts say, I wish they'd hurry back. Everything's been going wrong today. First that boat rams us, then this teenage Lloyd Bridges. Yeah. Uh, spots our sub. This would have been around the Sequest days. Um, and the other guy says, relax. Everything's under control. The boat took most of the damage from the collision, right? And as for that nosy scuba diver here, well, you won't have to worry about him when they find his dead body washed up on the beach tomorrow. It'll be recorded as an accidental drowning. And the uh, and of course Harold's not taking any of this. So he uh, even though his hands are tied, he uh, he headbutts the guy in the gut and says the only thing going down around here, Big Mouth, is you. And he goes, ah, that cares, takes care of the gunman. Now it'll be my feet against the other guy's fists. So the other guy takes out a knife. He says, death by bullet or by knife. What's the difference? And of course Harold says, you don't frighten me, chum. He says, I can't help talking brave, but will I get out of this? And uh, then all of a sudden, the whole everything goes kerflui, and it turns out the Superboy is swimming around the, uh, turning the water around the submarine at super speed, and he says, "Same old Harold. Even when that crook had him dead to rights, about to knife him, Harold was as cool as ever. I've got to have a talk with him." Soon after, Superboy has pulled the submarine to shore and summoned the authorities. He says, let me guess, Superboy, you started trailing the smuggling operation on your own east coast and kept tabs on the pipeline until it led you here to Coast City. Yeah, you said it, Harold. <laughs> yeah, sure, that's, that'll do. Uh, he says, I observed you in action inside the submarine. If you don't mind a little advice. And he says, advice from Superboy? Are you kidding? Give it out. And next we see uh, Harold shaking hands with Clark, and, uh, and he says... And then he told me that being born without fear would only keep jeopardizing my life and the lives of others unless I learned to combine my fearlessness with good judgment. Hmm. He says, that sure sounds like the Superboy we know in Smallville, all right. 
And he says, well, I'll tell you one thing, Clark. If it weren't for Superboy, I wouldn't be around to see you and your family off. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to take his advice to heart. And he goes, from this day forward, Harold Jordan is going to be a new man. He says, I believe you mean it, Harold. Remember, if you're ever back east, look us up. And he says, so long, Clark. I'll be seeing you again, I promise. And of course, Harold, a.k.a. Hal Jordan, a lad born without fear, who one day will grow up to be a courageous test pilot. And when a dying alien hero seeks someone fearless and honorable to replace him, Hal will become Green Lantern, master of the power ring, and fellow Justice Leaguer of Superman. The end. So... I hope you enjoyed that. I, I I like the idea of sort of taking a look at, at Superboy meeting people that he would later later know. And I think that there's a kind of a tie-in Legion-wise to that because, of course, these are, the, these are the people that he's influenced in some way. In this case, he gave Hal some great advice that I think will lead to good things for him as Green Lantern. And so I figure when we have times when the schedule can't work out, I think this will be my go-to. I think my go-to will be get an old Superboy story where he meets someone from the future of DC of the DC universe, and uh, and, and we'll see how that goes. So uh, with that, I'm going to wrap things up. Comments, as always, are welcome at Legion of Substitute Podcasters at gmail.com. You can join in the conversation on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. We are on the Twitter. We are LOSP Podcast. And in addition to all these things, you can head over to our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com, and you can leave a comment on this or any episode. And with that, we make our way back into the time bubble, and I promise you I'll be coming back with some uh, some other uh, <laughs> other subs next week. And uh, that's when we'll see you, and there will be more of us. Have a great week.